Three, two, one. Luke is always way off. That's not true. <laughs> it's because he has no sense of rhythm. Because he has never been in a band. Listen, I can feel the rhythm. I can even feel the rhyme. Jamaica, it's bobsled time. Cool runnings. So with that being said, have you been recording all of this, Gomer? I've recorded every awesome action-packed second. Perfect. So, Arlene, we're just going to kind of dive into it. Um, okay. I'm going to try to pronounce your last name. Arlene Spensley? Spensley, yes. Spensley. Awesome. No, Spensley. Yeah, you had it right. Spensley. Arlene Spensley. No, no, that actually before. Yeah, right. Awesome. So, um, you wait, wait, wait. I got to do my thing. Sorry. I totally forgot about my thing. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. This is episode number seven of Catching Foxes on LayEvangelist.com. Today is a special show where Michael Gormley, your old pal Gomer, uh, and his buddy Luke, who shall not be last named, interview someone. That's right. Someone actually decided to be on our show of their own free will and have Luke pester them with questions. Luke, why don't you introduce our special, special guest? Most podcasts do that after it's been recorded to not interrupt the flow of the conversation. Anywho, um, we're here today with Arlene Spensley. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Catching Foxes. <laughs> this is episode number seven, where Gomer shuts Luke down. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Arlene. Uh, she's just here to watch us be stupid. Um, Isn't that so best? Arlene Spensley, right? Yes. Awesome. All right, so I am so bad with last names, which when I taught high school, the kids loved that, especially on the first day. They're already happy to be back in school and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, especially so. Especially since you taught Chinese students. That must right? have been extra awesome. I know. I'd be like, listen, let's be honest. Your last name is Zhao. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, that, that took five minutes. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number seven of Catching Foxes. I'm Gomer with my pal Luke and our guest, James Franco. Maybe I'll just introduce myself. Hey, Arlene, yeah, sure. why, don't why don't you introduce you tell, yourself? How why don't you that? tell all, all of the nice kids at home who you are and what you do and all the good stuff? My name is Arlene Spensley, and I am author of the book Chastity is for Lovers, Single, Happy, and Still a Virgin, which came out in November, published by Ave Maria Press. And uh, when I'm not speaking or writing about chastity, I'm a staff writer for the Tampa Bay Times, which is Florida's largest newspaper, which actually has um, some connection to my decision to become a chastity speaker and writer. Oh, that's awesome. What was the connection? <laughs> What's that? Um, uh, what exactly was that connection? So I, I've been working for the Times for about eight years. And uh, I would say my second year as a staff writer, I had been dating a guy who, in retrospect, I probably should never have dated. Been there. And, uh, <laughs> he, <laughs> he and I, uh, he didn't—he was not Catholic like I am, and we didn't define sex the same way. We didn't even define love in the same way, really. And so uh, that became a bit of a problem in our relationship. I was, you know, as a Catholic, who practices the virtue of chastity, saving sex for marriage. And he was not interested in that at all. And he also didn't understand why I was. And so as that relationship began to unravel, I, uh, you know, I would explain to him the reasons why I decided to save sex and he didn't get it. It just was not something that he could grasp. And I thought, well, you know, if this, this one guy doesn't understand my lifestyle and my faith, then probably a lot of other people don't understand it either. And so I thought, well, if I work for Florida's largest newspaper, why don't I use that 
for this. And so I uh, approached an editor and I basically said, hi, my name is Arlene. I'm a virgin and I want to put it in the newspaper. <laughs> and the editor was like, uh, okay, let's do it. And, uh, and so I, I started writing this sex essay and that that's, you know, what we would call it as, as I was working on it. And, um, when it finally published, the response was absolutely overwhelming. Um, for about two years, I got emails and phone calls at work in response to that essay. And so that's when I knew that this was something people needed to talk about because they did not want to stop talking to me about it. And, uh, and so that's really how my whole um, career as a Catholic blogger and speaker kicked off. That's awesome. And I think why I wanted to have you on our podcast was what I was interested about the, I'm, I'll be honest, I haven't, read your book and now I feel horrible. Um, <laughs> well, you should. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, you are very right. Um, is you talk from everything that I have read. We're both in the youth ministry world. That's kind of like what we do. Um, right, Gomer? You're still uh, alive? I mean, I sort of am in the youth ministry world. I do... I used to be a full-time youth minister for eight and a half years, and now I do adult faith formation, but I still travel and do conferences for youth, lead retreats for youth, and all that stuff. And I think, I mean, and so we hear about chastity all the time, and it's in every talk that they do for every, like, men's session, and, and, and that is great. But you don't really hear it a lot with people who are in their mid-20s. And that's what I thought was real, or, or, you know, like, or onwards. And that's what I thought was really cool about your article that I read and just uh, the stuff on your blog is I think it's really practical for a lot of millennials are right now. You know, I found that when I was 25, it was, you know, actually um, pretty difficult compared to when I was, you know, like 18. Mm-hmm. And so that was really like, I was, that's, that's actually. Oh, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, and we and just because I think that this is like that conversation shouldn't stop after mm. college, nor should it stop absolutely. after high school or when you're married. Oh, absolutely. I think I, that's something I've observed, and why you know my target audience primarily has been young adults. Um, you know, when I first started working on the book and made the announcement on my blog that this book was coming. I got some feedback from people who found out it was for young adults and said, well, why aren't, why aren't you writing this for teens? You really need to present this information to teens. And I said, here's the problem. In my experience and in my observation, this conversation really does end when youth group ends. And so what you wind up with is kids who go off to college who aren't hearing about it anymore, aren't talking about it anymore. And that's, of course, even assuming they ever heard about it correctly, because I think a lot of youth groups get it wrong. And, uh, and so, you know, if we're not discussing something, I think we're implying that it's no longer relevant or that it's not important. And I think chastity is something that is relevant for everybody in every vocation from birth until death. And so my goal really as a writer has been to continue that conversation, which I don't believe ever should have stopped. That's really cool. Um, you want to add anything, Gomer? I feel like I'm... <clears throat> you are monopolizing everything. everything. Um, but You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Um I think one of the key things that you make on your blog, in my fancy research, and I did just buy your book, Chapter One, Chastity, A Better Sexual Ethic. I like that. Um, I think uh, the number one distinction between, that you often find in Catholic circles that you don't find in Protestant circles, is it tends to be uh, non-Catholics do abstinence, 
and Catholics do chastity. And chastity is connected to this wider world of virtue, grace, fruits of the spirit, all this different stuff. Whereas abstinence is, it's like uh, no meat on Fridays, right? It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's a saying no to, to sex, right? It's, it's this emphasis on abstaining, on going without, on foregoing something. Um, and it's entirely a negative concept, whereas for chastity, chastity itself being a virtue, that is fit within this much bigger, broader range of the virtuous life, the art of living, all this stuff. Um, for millennials, I think, um, you know, the, the idea of how chastity can lead to good sex, right? Not just mm -hmm. good in the sense of moral, but good in the sense of better, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that is that is that like, did you intentionally choose article titles and stuff like that? framed around that in order to appeal to because right when you said I work for the the um, Tampa Bay um, Times I thought I was thinking oh is that the diocesan newspaper and you're like it's the largest <laughs> newspaper in Florida I was like oh damn okay so you're talking chastity to the broadest audience yes you know yeah. well I mean Florida that's it's a weird place to begin with but you're talking I mean so that's awesome the reason why I love what having you on is Oftentimes, as a, I'm a conference speaker, chastity speaker, I, I do I do all sorts of stuff. But you often find this bubble, this reinforcing bubble, where when we don't speak to people outside of Catholic circles, where we're not engaged in conversation, especially about the things that are most difficult, like chastity, sexual morality, that people don't want to hear it. Um, if you don't have that, you don't even know how to, you don't know where the ache is on mm -hmm. the culture. You don't know where... Um, people are, I mean, just making these massive compromises, um, and how it's hurting them and how you, you can see like all these addictions to like pornography and all this stuff, how it is a chase after a thing that their actions will never give them. Right. Uh, but if you're just all in these like, Hey, I signed my chastity card when I was 16. Oh, really? I did when I was 15. And, you know, and you have this whole aura of like, Oh yeah, this is just accepted. We save sex for marriage, blah, blah, blah. The conversation takes a totally different tone. When I'm speaking with Luke, who's the most chaste man I've ever met, it's going to mm -hmm. be one conversation, but I'm speaking with other people that I know, um, you know, it's a different type of conversation. I don't know if you want to speak to that directly. Is that why you chose, um, to focus on chastity as opposed to abstinence? Is that more appealing to millennials? Is that is the idea of well, virtue less appealing? I don't know. I really think that if we focus on abstinence as opposed to chastity, we're, um, we're behaving pretty risk, riskily. Is that a word? Riskily? Um, yeah, it's, 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 we're going we're gonna to say it's a word. Um, it's pretty risky yeah. to, to uh, present abstinence without also presenting chastity because I think really like how I define chastity is it's a decision – to do the right thing regarding sex because a virtue is, um, so, you know, it's really a decision to do the right thing. And chastity is the successful integration of sexuality within the person. So it's really that decision that we make over and over every day to do the right thing regarding sex. And I think that kind of changes things as opposed to abstinence where you're strictly just saying no, like you said. And so, you know, I chose chastity because that's, you know, that's what I, studied. That's, that's what I felt, um, called to present. And I felt like part of the reason that so many people I met, um, and encountered through, you know, the first sex essay I wrote and then the second and the third as well, like they were presented with abstinence and after a while, abstinence doesn't make sense anymore. And I think, I think part of that is because chastity really requires us to define sex. 
whereas abstinence and the way it's presented in a lot of youth groups um, really is all about saying no to sex until you're married or even worse sometimes they say sex is bad until you're married and then all of a sudden it's good and sex uh, that's is something... uh, dirty and disgusting so you should save it for someone you love <laughs> exactly you know mm-hmm. and you know after a while when a kid's brain fully develops and they begin to think critically about something like that it sounds like complete nonsense and so they begin to to say hey wait a minute this doesn't make any sense and it really it doesn't and and you know part of the problem with preaching abstinence instead of chastity is that uh when when sex is not defined kids eventually do grow up and um create their own definitions of sex or uh absorb definitions of sex based on their first exposures to it which is probably going to be either in the media or from friends whose sources of their own definitions of sex might not be so reliable and so what ends up happening is you have kids who may be on board. They might be on board for a while to save sex for marriage, but then they begin to believe that sex is solely for pleasure or that sex is for uh, getting to know a potential future spouse. And it doesn't make any sense to wait until you're married to do the thing that you do to get to know somebody. No, Nobody does that. That doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, as Catholics, we define sex as this sacred physical sign of the vows that a husband and wife made on the altar where they were married. It's, it's the expression of the unity achieved by the sacrament of matrimony. And with that knowledge, I think it makes a lot more sense to save sex for marriage. And without that knowledge, you sometimes wind up with people who maybe wait until they're married to have sex, but they're really waiting to objectify their spouse or to solely have sex for pleasure with their spouse or to make it this sort of like mutually advantageous exploitation of each other, which is, you know, not something that aligns with love as we are called to give it to each other. And so that's, you know, ultimately why I always preach chastity as opposed to abstinence. And, you know, when I put this stuff in the newspaper, I was scared. The first time I was really scared. I mean, I I actually backed out um, of the first sex essay initially, and uh, I had gotten pretty far with the first draft. And I I don't even remember really what came over me, but I ended up sending an email to the editor I was working with. And I said, listen, I don't think that this is such a good idea after all. You know, I thought, what are my colleagues going to think? And, you know, how awkward is it going to be when I walk into the room every day and now they know this thing about me that I've never told anyone, you know? And and then I was worried too about our readers. I mean, this is a secular newspaper. At that time, we had 400,000 subscribers on a Sunday, and the sex essay was slated to print on a Sunday. And so I thought, this is going to be in 400,000 driveways in the Tampa Bay area, and that is scary. And so I backed out, and the editor talked me back into it, and I'm really glad that he did, because, you know, what I thought was going to be this very public window into my life for our readers turned out to be a window for me into our readers' lives, because I got feedback from so many people in so many stages of their lives. I heard from college kids who had felt so alone, um, who for the first time were navigating this world in which the people they dated didn't want to save sex for marriage. And so they, they had felt so alone, but then, you know, they read what I wrote and they were like, okay, okay, I'm not the only one. This is cool. And then I heard from parents who had just lost all hope that their kids could ever practice the virtue of chastity because they saw the culture that surrounded their kids and said, this is impossible. And so when they read what I wrote, they, they found some hope. They thought, okay, this this maybe is something that, that my kid can do. 
And then I heard from surprisingly a lot of elderly people and, and, you know, well, not surprisingly, because I live in Florida, let's face it, but, <laughs> but, you know, a lot elderly of them, <laughs> a lot of them, um, had feedback that said, you know, I, I saved sex for marriage with my husband and, and, you know, we want to just commend you for this decision. And then I heard from a lot of them who said, my gosh, I wish someone had told me these things when I was young. And I, I had, you know, some elderly men who basically emailed me to apologize to the women that they lost touch with, who they'll never be able to apologize to because of how they treated them, because they didn't know what, what I have been, you know, graciously able to learn because of, you know, my upbringing in the church and everything. And, and so it was just really interesting to me, um, to have so much hurt and pain and fear, um, unveiled for our readers. And, and so, you know, that's why I went on to write the second sex essay and then the third one, because there's just always been a little bit more to say. And I feel like over the years, I've learned a little bit more, um, like my first sex essay, which isn't even on the internet anymore. Um, that one was really like, I was calling it chastity, but I think what I was, what I was writing about was abstinence. I was, I think 23 at the time. And I didn't really have, you know, as, as great a grasp on chastity as I do now. And so a few years later, when I was 26, I wrote a second one um, that went a little bit deeper with that concept of chastity. And then this year um, at age 29, I wrote my third sex essay. And I don't know if there will be more, but that one was more about really making that distinction between abstinence and chastity, which I find is continuing to be a challenge, um, but an important challenge to sort of combat, I think, because it's really important to me to make sure that, you know, as someone who's in ministry, uh, that what I'm presenting really is about the virtue and it is about um, this path to authentic love that we've been, you know, provided with. And, uh, and I, want, I want people to, to know that it's there and, and for it to change lives if, if people are open to it. That is really cool. I can remember um, what you had just talked about it reminded me of when I was 23, uh, I still had a couple of buddies who were in college down at the at uh, the University of Dayton. And so I would go and partake in a couple of parties there. And as you do, I would uh, try to talk to as many girls as I could. But as a practicing Catholic, I wasn't like trying to sleep with them like everyone else was. And uh, I found that I, every time I would get into like a deep conversation with a girl, it would always t end up, we would talk about chastity mm. and we would, I, I really, it was probably about the grace of God that it happened. But I was like, I was like, I mean, honestly, this probably happened to me like 10 times. I was like, why is it, this doesn't make any sense. How is this happening? Wow. This guy's getting really deep. I better turn the conversation to chastity <laughs> yeah. to scare him away. Oh, oh, chastity chose this guy. I'll hear him out. Um, so, but, uh, and it was just, no, but it, I mean, all jokes aside, uh, it was really interesting because I think part of me had always thought, I know that this is right, but it'd be real, like, I wish I didn't know it at times, you know? And then to hear these girls' stories were Every single time they would always say, I hate the fact that I gave this up. I hate the, f I like deep down, I don't want to be doing this. And I was like, huh, you know, and it just kind of like funny to see like this actually, like when we talk about these things, there are real consequences. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot with in youth ministry, 
maybe just within greater American Christianity as a whole, we talk about the sin. We don't talk about why it's a sin. Like, what are the actual effects of that? Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, one of the biggest things I always do when I talk about chastity with youth, young adults, um, adults. I just finished uh, Theology of the Body Week at my parish, and um, it was awesome. We did it from Sunday to Thursday, and we invited anyone older than 15 to come, or older than 14 to come. So that meant we had kids who were in high school coming with their parents to hear a, a sex talk as as I used to pitch it to the high school students, I said, listen, what could be cooler than going to a talk about sex with your parents? And for some <laughs> reason, that didn't fly. But uh, a lot of parents brought their kids, I think is actually what happened. And uh, the conversation that we had was, I realized there was a certain point where not sharing my own experience hindered the understanding of, or like the impact of what we were talking about. So... Um, one of the points that I was trying to get across to the people was God made us in a specific way, right? We call it human nature or whatever, but God made us in a specific way and violating with our own actions doesn't necessarily, you know, as the old saying, it doesn't break those laws. The laws break us, right? So when I say, oh, I'm going to live a life without commitment, I'm going to have free love. It's not that we get free love. It's that we get a whole bunch of sex and then a whole bunch of pain that goes with it. Um, you know, an inability to be vulnerable with someone, an inability to, I, I mean, and even even bodily, like diseases that we carry and all of this stuff. I mean, the amount of sexually transmitted diseases has skyrocketed since mm-hmm. promiscuity was culturally, became culturally acceptable. And um, I mean, I remember this one guy talking about growing up in the 50s, and he said, when you grew up in the 50s, the only person that had a venereal disease was a sailor. <laughs> and he said, and now it's like the average person is like a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old in college, you know? Mm-hmm. And you hear all this stuff. The The whole point that I'm trying to get across is it's not just like, oh, well, crap, now I'm a Catholic, I'm a Catholic and now I know the truth, so I have to do it or I'm going to feel guilty. <laughs> I think a lot of people present it that way, and I know that that's one of your, your, your issues with, you know, just the abstinence challenging us to not do it, right? And it's like, oh, crap, I did it. Now what? Um, but the idea of painting, uh, number one, really understanding the negatives, which is this can destroy, like, watching pornography, engaging in premarital sex with people that you aren't in a lifelong commitment to, i.e. marriage, um, mm. you, are, you are training yourself for divorce. And I think a lot of millennials especially have, are weary of love because it are weary of marriage because it leads to divorce. And so many, I mean, I have so many conversations with people who like, I mean, half their parents out there are divorced, you know? Uh, so you sit there and you're like, well, why would I want to get married? So then they end up playing house thinking that it'll absolve them or it's a shortcut away around the pain. If it ends, it ends. It's not like a divorce, but the pain is still there. The reality is of that hurt is still there. And you find, like, this one woman I'll never forget. First time I ever taught Theology of the Body to adults. I was a youth minister doing this parent class. We were teaching it to kids, so I said I'd offer it to the adults once a month. Had a woman raise her hand when I was doing a night on contraception, and she said, uh, all my homeschool moms started feverishly praying the rosary for me, but she started peppering me with questions about the rightness of contraception. And I explained to her what NFP was and all this stuff. And afterwards, she came up to me with tears in her eyes. And she said this line that I will never forget. My husband has never touched me in a romantic way without it purposely leading to sex. 
She said, in all my years of marriage, my husband has never once touched me romantically without wanting sex. And she just looked at me and she said, what do I do with that? And I said, that is such a poverty of your marriage, but have you ever said that to him? No. Okay, well, NFP forces you to, when, when you're abstaining from sex during that brief period, forces you to manifest your love in other ways that are physical but not sexual, that, are, that involve your sexuality but don't lead to sex. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's a million different ways that you end up doing it. But because we have a culture of contraception and all that stuff, we feel like there's no consequences. But even when there's no pregnancy, there still are consequences to the human heart. And uh, I feel like the, the cluelessness of high school students today to the repercussions, the, I mean, I had one guy write me a letter on my website just saying, like, you know, all my friends are, how do I defend using the natural law that polyamorous unions are wrong? And I just thought, oh, my God, these are <laughs> high school students. You know, like, I want to have sex with anyone and everyone at any time. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so like I don't even know where to begin with this person, but I just I just feel like taking these high school students aside and being like, you have no idea. You keep telling yourself it's just biology, it's just sex, it's just pleasure. She's cool with it, I'm cool with it, but in the end, you end up hurting each other so much. No matter how much you say your friends, the with benefits part still kills a part of your soul over and over again. Absolutely, wow. You know, um. I used to work as a, I, I took a brief hiatus from working at the Times. I quit in 2012 for about a year because I was in grad school studying counseling and I, I had to work as a counselor for a semester in order to finish my degree. And so I worked as a counselor at a youth shelter uh, and we had kids ages 10 to 17, many of whom were delinquent in some way. We had like perpetrators of domestic violence. We had kids who were in conflict with their families, kids who refused to go to school. So a judge would court order them to stay at the shelter so we could force them to go to school and uh, a number of other uh, reasons that kids would show up at the shelter. But I remember one of the observations I made working with kids and their families uh, was how so many youth today don't have models of real love and they don't have models of real marriage and and i think of all of the things that are happening in the world right now and all of the things that make me tweet occasionally about how badly i want to just become a hermit it's it's all rooted in the tragedy that is no no examples of real love there's just there are people who turn into adults who have never been authentically loved and who have never witnessed authentic love in their families or schools or relationships of, of other kinds. And, and I think that's so sad. I mean, it really breaks my heart that, um, that that's, you know, the state of our culture right now. And I think so many problems that we see, um, you know, everything from abortion to, every list, you know, just list them, every other controversial problem that is happening. It's, I can always kind of trace it back to this resistance to the virtue of chastity. I can always trace it back. And, you know, one of the incredible things that I've been able to witness uh, as I've, you know, been blogging about chastity and sex for a few years and, you know, promoting the book and speaking 
I've noticed that while many, many people do reject the virtue of chastity, it's very, very rarely because they think it's bad. What I've noticed is that a lot of people think chastity is good, but they think it's hard. And so they, they don't do it. And, and in some ways that gives me some hope because uh, just as St. John Paul II says in his book, Love and Responsibility, he talks about how people do resent chastity, but their resentment of it, uh, which is rooted in sloth, which is really like a sadness because something good is difficult. Yeah. Um, it's, mm. it, it reinforces the goodness of chastity because they're really, they're, they respect it. They respect it. And it's, it's just too difficult for them to conceive of being possible. And so they don't, they don't adopt it as part of their, their life. And, you know, my goal, especially as a speaker, the talk that I tend to give when I go to like university campuses or young adult groups at churches and theology on taps is, is really about equipping audiences to practice chastity in a culture that calls it crazy, because I completely understand. I, I have gotten every kind of reaction to this that you can imagine. I've, I've gotten pity people who, who are like, they find out that I've never had sex and they're like, oh, your time will come, Arlene. Don't worry. And I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. Like, I've chosen this. And if I never get married, I'm never having sex. And I am OK with that. And 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 I've gotten um, shock, you know, just people who are like, are you sure? I had a, a friend actually recently I hadn't seen him in like a decade and I gave him a copy of the book and he kind of leaned over and he's like, okay, are you really a virgin? And I'm like, yes. Like, why would I write a book about being a virgin if I wasn't really a virgin? Well, this is nonfiction. Just between um, you and me, it's really driving book sales. <laughs> and, you know, um, I don't know what I was talking about. I lost my oh, train of thought. Um, sorry. No, it's okay. We're, real quick, I, when we talk about traveling to colleges and, and getting the reactions and stuff like that, what has been um, – do you have like a, a story of, of like a reaction that you tell them about chastity and they respond in like – like what's your craziest story? I think that is – because when I've done it, like one of the biggest things is people look at me and the funniest one I ever – like the, the funniest one that's common is sounds nice, but come on, really? really like really and i'm like yeah i was a virgin when i got married really were you really i'm like (laughs) well technically yes i was a virgin when i got married and the understanding of that for these people was like they thought like i should have had like i don't know like spasms and i should have died of my virginity (laughs) um or like they thought i was like some repressed homeschooler and while in fact i was homeschooled uh, and repressed. Son of a bitch, they were right. <laughs> no, uh, you know, but like you have this this image of this like uber sheltered individual who is scared of the light of day. And then when I found out that, you know, I had social skills and could talk to people, they thought, well, why are you a virgin? Like mm. their conception of virginity was always because yeah. you're, 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 you're ugly. You're the duff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Socially awkward. That, I mean, that's been the assumption. And so people are kind of like, wow, but you're, you're like normal. I don't get it. And you know, <laughs> um, I like that you said that people had the expectation that you were going to die of your virginity because when I was working on, I think my second sex essay, I quoted a, uh, a study that said that 98% of men and 97% of women ages, I might've gotten those reversed. A lot of people are not virgins is basically what yeah. the study said. And I called, um, I called one of the researchers who, uh, 
I didn't tell her, you know, that I was a virgin, but I said, listen, I'm working on this essay about, you know, saving sex for marriage. Um, and I was wondering, you know, you say here that this is how many people uh, have had sex between the ages of 25 and 44 or whatever it was. And I said, what about the people between those ages who have never had sex? Have you done any research on them? And she kind of paused and then she said, well, you know, no, not, not really. There, there aren't that many of them. And, and she said, and I, I don't really know what their prognosis would be. And, and I, I, I had to pause because I'm like, you know, like a prognosis, like the course that a disease is expected to take. I'm what, what does that mean? And so I didn't say anything. I, I was thinking about saying something, but I was like, you know, forget it. It's, it's not worth the argument, but I took note and, and it's something that I've always kind of gone back to that people tend to think that virginity is the result of something wrong with the person who claims it. And so, you know, that's, I've always found that to be really fascinating. And, you know, I've gotten, I, I can't say as a speaker that I've necessarily gotten any reactions yet that are quite like that, but definitely in response to the sex essays a lot. Um, when I wrote the first one, I was at work one day and I got a phone call from an editor at the, um, newspaper out in uh, Austin, Texas, the Austin American Statesman. And so I, uh, my, my sex essay had been reprinted in that paper yeah. because they were part of the same news service as my paper. And yeah. uh, so some editor calls me and she says, Hey, you know, we, we recently printed your, your article and, you know, someone wrote a letter to the editor and we wanted to run your picture with it. And I was like, what? why do you need my picture with a letter that someone wrote about something I wrote? And <laughs> she's like, oh, well, you know, it just, it would just make sense. I'm like, I want you to read me the letter because I could tell this was going somewhere. Not Clever girl. <laughs> also and, uh, it's coming from Austin. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so she reads me this letter and it was from a, I believe a 60 year old man. And he said that she's a, who had never seen my picture who said she's a virgin because she's probably not a hot babe. Mm. And frankly, I beg to differ, but I said, you know what? I said, I will send my picture and I'm going to send a good one. And I did. And, you know, they printed it. Um, but so I'm going to send one wearing a bikini. <laughs> <laughs> like Luke's photo that we're going to put on the website. <clears throat> You're welcome, America. Well, Luke's photo is more of a tankini. <laughs> um, that was probably like the worst thing. That's funny. Um, Six-year-old men, dirty as hell. I know. I, the second one. Uh, actually, the second sex essay, I think I had a slightly worse reaction. Somebody responded to that by he he had seen my picture and it was a really unfortunate picture. The story is in the book, but I'll tell it anyway. Um, I had a, a photo shoot one day at work and I didn't have any makeup on and or at least I didn't have eye makeup on, which is like key. You know, the ladies who are listening understand. And I, I, I Luke gets it. So, Luke gets it. <laughs> so and it's, it's really random, but that particular photo shoot was not going to require pictures of my face. It was going to require like the back of my head. It's a long story. So no, makes so total I, sense. I do those at least whim, twice a week. Yeah. On, <laughs> on a whim, I kind of turned around and I, I, the photographer got a picture from the front and he really liked it. And I thought it was pretty horrible, but I, so I emailed him later that day and I said, Hey, listen, that picture you took, make sure you don't put that into the system because I don't want that to print or, you know, wind up anywhere important. And, uh, I guess he didn't get my email because the day that my second sex essay showed up online, I, you know, I was like refreshing tampabay.com, like, you know, waiting for this essay because I was so excited to share it. And finally it 
it loads and, and I'm reading it and I'm like, this is fantastic. And then I refreshed again to see if there were any comments. And it went from like zero to 14 in 30 seconds. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, look at all these people who are commenting. This is great. And then as I start to read the comments, every single comment is something about my appearance, including, well, I can't tell if you're a man or a woman. And that's why you're ever oh, nasty. Oh, oh. Like, what? what in the world? And so I go back to the homepage where in John, giant letters that the, the website's biggest font it said why i'm a virgin and that picture that was never supposed to end up in the system was huge on the front page of the site and this is the worst picture that has ever been taken of me in my uh, life even my own mom looked at it and she was like oh no <laughs> oh, so oh man if your mother says that then it's a horrible picture and so and that was one of the most humiliating hours of my entire life it took me about an hour to find an editor who was available to take that picture off the website and destroy it. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was basically, <laughs> you know, I had kind of written this essay, um, in part in effort to show that, Hey, like a functional, normal young adult can totally save sex or marriage in this culture. And, and, you know, it's okay. And like that picture completely undermined that because I did not look like a normal young adult. And and I know that's horrible, but it was true. And so people really took that and, and ran with it. And uh, we actually had to delete most of the comments and shut down comments on that essay because oh, wow. they couldn't keep up with the mm -hmm. volume or frequency. <laughs> yeah. If wow. it helps, uh, they showed me on uh, The View and uh, Barbara Walters went, he's okay. <laughs> that's a true story. One so of it's my not favorite as bad stories. As, I mean, uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to say in a small way is I feel your pain. Luke, what did Whoopi <laughs> Goldberg say about you? That's the I question. don't remember, but I do remember when, <laughs> sorry, Aaron, my fiance, is going to hate the fact that I'm telling this story. That's okay. Anyways, listen, which happens listen. a lot on this show. Mm. Um, I remember when Jenny McCarthy was talking about me. I was like, high five, 15-year-old me. <laughs> that was kind of a... What was that um, MTV show she used to host? She was on. Oh, with, she was on singled out guy. with Chris singled Hardwick, out. my hero. Singled out. That's right. Oh man, how? Yeah. Oh, Jenny <laughs> Speaking McCarthy. Speaking of a selfish, unchaste culture, and I, I <laughs> yeah, think this no is one of those things. Like, I guarantee you, a lot of those guys. Well, guys on the internet are horrible. Like, just horrible in general. But a lot of them probably would not have been saying stuff had the article not have been about chastity and i think it just proves that i mean we live in such a selfish culture and if you want proof go to to an airport where things are going horribly i just experienced that this past this past weekend people are terrible to other people when their plans are changed mm. um but i i really do think that part of that i, I don't think all of it is tied to that but i think Part of it is because, you know, um, not being – well, having um, having sex before you are married and not having a proper understanding of what sex actually is, it can cause you to just be a selfish jerk. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. that's why it's – I mean that's one of the many reasons why it's bad because you kind of become an asshole. <laughs> you know, and like um, – you can you can bleep that out if if nope. you want to go. Nope. 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 No edits. <clears throat> no edits. Uh, um, sorry. It had been a good half hour before we had cursed, so I figured I should bring it back. Go on. Obviously, social media is, you know, the perfect venue for the narcissist, you know, to to come in and um, have the spotlight 
shining. But what I found is that, you know, a lot of times uh, as a blogger, you know, I'll write a post and narcissism will come out in some of the feedback I get in that people take things very, very personally and they get very, very nasty with me and with, with other bloggers, you know, who I've observed. And I'm sure like, you know, podcasters and musicians and, you know, anything that you produce, um, people are going to take it personally. And I think that reveals narcissism because they assume that, you know, this, this is actually about me and it's really not, I've never met you. I I wasn't thinking about you when I wrote it half the time. If I'm writing something that is critical of, um, society in general, I'm really probably thinking about something in my own life and I'm probably criticizing myself in some ways. I'm just not going to like necessarily write it in that way. Cause I want it to be applicable to other readers who it may help. And so a lot of that has been a challenge for me, uh, to learn to navigate calmly, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and to learn to navigate professionally because a lot of times I just kind of want to yell and be mean because that's human nature and we want to get defensive. And, you know, I, I think in some ways that's, that's uh, a benefit of having the, the master's degree that I have in counseling is that it has helped me so much since I went through that program to be able to remember that, you know, everybody's looking at the world through different lenses. And as much as I want people to pick up what I'm putting down when I put something down, they can't, they can't always see things the way I see them because they have their unique sets of lenses that are, you know, shaped by how they were raised and in what belief systems and value systems they were raised and their own personal experiences. And so, uh, it's very challenging to, yeah. to interact yeah. with humans. <laughs> yeah. People that? suck, especially Luke. <laughs> yeah, especially Luke. Um, especially me. I was just browsing through your blog, which is awesome by the way, really enjoy it. Um, <laughs> Uh, me and you have a common friend, a man named Everett Fritz. Yes. Yeah. I met him the other day. What? Yeah. yeah. How did you meet I him? Was, I was over at A White Disciple doing some work. Ah, uh, that's right. You're, you're, are you in Denver right now, Luke? No, I'm back in a city that shall not be named. <laughs> I'm in no Cincinnati. one can Google this and find out who you really are. <laughs> I know, seriously. Oh, man. So Everett, Everett's a great guy. Um, he was friends with uh, a buddy of mine that I had worked with. Uh, Chris, um, we'll just call him Chris. <laughs> no, I'll call him Chris and then I'll beep it out. Um, but he, uh, big fan of, uh, he's all right, but he, uh, Nick Chris is actually a lot better is identical to win. I but, just want you to have to beep it out. Sorry, Chris, go on. <laughs> there you, go. you son of a gun. Um, so I worked with Chris and Chris told me, you know, it was him and this other guy that had these big youth groups, Everett. And then, um, I'm a part of this, um, online forum forming intentional disciples, uh, it's a private forum and, uh, he was in it and he, we were just talking about youth ministry stuff. And then I ended up meeting up with him after, um, or during one of the afternoon sessions of, uh, Steubenville, the Rockies where I'm a speaker and man, that guy and his association with Y disciple, he has a razor sharp, um, appreciation, knowledge, strategy, all that stuff to build disciples. Like that's his whole thing mm-hmm. uh, for teenagers, right? Is to build disciples. And, you know, you, you start asking yourself questions. Okay, you got the biggest youth group because my church probably has the biggest youth group in North America, um, which means the world if you're talking about Catholic youth groups. And uh, 
<laughs> certainly isn't in Europe. Um, so we <laughs> maybe Nigeria actually. But so we started uh, talking about all this stuff. And he says, who would you say is the most committed, the most fully formed disciple in your youth group? And after a while, you start to realize, oh, it's the kids I directly mentor and my core members who really care about Christ and really care about these kids. It's who they directly mentor. It's not the people who heard my awesome talk and were, you know, uh, you know, weekly. So then we started talking and me and him were talking in depth about this stuff. But then he brought up how he is leaving all that behind for the world of uh, being a chastity speaker and he's writing a book um, in your, you know, I feel like right now there is, cause I'm in like the speaker circuit where I'm surrounded by chastity speakers, right? Jason Everett and Chris Stefanik, they do other stuff, but they also do chastity speaking. You're going out to college campuses. Are you going out predominantly to secular places and that's like your buy-in is because you know you're a journalist you write for this awesome newspaper with this huge circulation or are you going to are you going to principally the newman centers or what are you doing when you're going out speaking um you know primarily i do a lot of theology on taps i do um i've gone to like catholic student unions and focus uh groups and stuff um then that's focus as in you know, the Catholic ministry. Love, not like, focus, fellowship not of Catholic focus, university so. students. Yes, Love yeah. Um, and uh, what's interesting, of course, about Theology on Tap is most of the time it takes place in a bar. Mm-hmm. And I've had <laughs> I've had some fantastic experiences of, you know, standing up in a bar, you know, public bar where people are smoking and drinking. And I'm talking about how I'm a virgin. And, you know, um, <laughs> I've had, I've, I've witnessed... Um, you know, games of pool abruptly end because <laughs> they're not interested in being in that room once they realize what it is that I'm I'm discussing mm-hmm. it. Um, primarily, I would say, you know, I I do most of my work with Catholic groups, um, and part of the reason for that is because a lot of people were presented with quote unquote chastity when they were in youth group, but now they're in college and. As it turns out, what they were presented with was absence, and they really don't get it anymore. They, it's really starting to, uh, like I said before, not make sense uh, because of the definition that they were provided for of sex, um, you know, by the media. And uh, and they're realizing it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to wait until you're married to do something like that. And uh, and so I want to go in and kind of restart the conversation that never should have stopped, and and also uh, really provide some practical ways that that people can practice chastity in a culture that is going to call you ugly and stupid for doing it because that's, you know, exactly what has happened to me many times, but, uh, that's, <laughs> that's part of it. But I think it's a really great opportunity. I love theology on tap, particularly because of the, um, opportunity to be overheard by people who would never voluntarily attend something like that. And, uh, I've, I've had a, you know, a few occasions, um, for media interviews as well. I, I'm very open to being interviewed by secular media uh, outlets and, and publications. And one time I remember I got a, an email from a high school, uh, not a high school, I'm sorry, a college newspaper. And I uh, did a little research on the woman who was going the young woman who was going to interview me for it. And it turned out that she was like the host of a feminist radio show um, on her campus. And I was getting scared, <laughs> particularly <laughs> because, you know, I have like a whole chapter on contraception that, you know, 
traditionally someone who hosts a feminist radio show would hate. And, you know, there was just so much that I was just like, oh my gosh, this is really, this is freaking me out. And she, she read the book in advance and called me up the day that we had scheduled the interview. And the first thing she said to me was how much she loved my book. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? Like, like this was not the direction. Mm-hmm in which I expected the conversation to go. But she said, you know, she had never been presented with chastity in such a way before that it looked so empowering to her. And and that's what she got out of my book. And that meant so, so, so much to me. And then uh, I had another woman uh, who works for a secular publication, either in or outside New York. I, I don't remember which publication it was offhand, but she, uh, same, same sort of deal, um, And again, she might have, I don't know, she might, I can't remember. She writes a a sex column that I wouldn't read ordinarily because of the content. And, um, but she, she's very, very open to, uh, including different perspectives. And so she had stumbled upon my book somehow and got a copy, read it, interviewed me and wrote this, this review that was fantastic. And, and this is exactly what I dreamed of and exactly what I hoped for. I wanted my book, as much as I enjoy, you know, ministering to fellow Catholic young adults um, who I think in this culture do feel very alone a lot in this. Um, I also really wanted to write and speak in, in such a way that when I when I present this information to people, that it's not in a way that makes people feel judged. I don't want my lifestyle to look like a criticism of somebody else's lifestyle. Yeah. That's not what it's about. What it what it's really about is me saying, look, I'm going to present the truth to you. I don't know what they presented to you in youth group 20 years ago, but it might have been wrong. I don't know what the preacher said from the pulpit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at your evangelical church, for instance. You know, I I don't know what it was, and I don't know if it was right, but. If it wasn't, I want to tell you what what is the truth, what the church actually teaches. And I think a lot of times when people are actually presented with the truth, with with what the church is really saying, as opposed to misconceptions of it, they realize, oh, my gosh, like this actually sounds sounds really good. And, you know, I truly believe that if every person on Earth practiced chastity, I mean, imagine this world. Obviously, that'll never happen because it's, you know, it's Earth. But like, I I think that. just so many problems would be solved and eliminated. I remember this one time on Twitter, I got this, this nasty tweet. Um, you know, I, I remember I unfollowed a guy because he had been basically hunting down women who had tweeted about having had abortions and he was, um, he was being nasty with them, just really, really horrible, very judgmental. It was terrible. And I didn't want to see it. So I unfollowed him and he must've, figured out that I unfollowed him and he tweeted a series of tweets at me and about me about how Arlene's not a real Catholic and Arlene's not pro-life. And, you know, I, I don't think that I necessarily answered him, but my only answer to that was if everybody practiced what I preach, then abortion wouldn't exist. It wouldn't be able to exist, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, gosh, I just, I can't stand when I see that. And I've seen a lot of that lately, particularly with you know, the Supreme Court's ruling about gay marriage. I saw it when um, the Seattle Seahawks um, quarterback announced that he and his girlfriend are saving sex. I saw it with the Planned Parenthood thing, uh, the, the video that was that was leaked. Um, just the, I, I, I recently tweeted something about how I, I don't know when it happened, but somehow being uncharitable has become this widely appropriate 
expression for Christians who oppose something. And I just, I I don't know when that happened. I don't know how it happened, but it shouldn't have happened. And I think we need to fix it because I mean, just, you know, sarcastically, I said to a friend when we were discussing the way people were treating each other and reacting to all of these things, I said, well, you know what, maybe it's maybe it's okay to be that mean to the people who don't believe what we do, because we all know how many conversions have happened as a result of people who are charitable. I mean, really, you know, and and I find that screaming hysterically at people always brings them quicker into the church absolutely my dad my dad goes to um our local abortion clinic he just decided one day i'm gonna find out where it is and he went and he just went outside and prayed and uh there are two groups of people that go to this abortion clinic uh to protest or whatever there's my dad uh and his group of two or three catholics normal catholics um and they do the helpers of god's precious infants which You know, they have signs up of Our Lady Guadalupe, and they say, we love you and we're praying for you, and we can help. Um, And then there are people who are, uh, um, what do you call them, the Sede Vacantis Catholics, the kind of like ultra traditionals. We have uh, two two churches here in our area that are like that, Um, who stand with the non-Catholics holding up signs that, and I'll never forget this one guy. He has a sign. I think this guy has to have a mental mental illness, but he has a sign that has text. The sign is front is, is six feet tall. It's as tall as him. He can hide behind it. Um, and it's just from top to bottom words, right? So it's like, you know, uh, pages of text written in probably what would be like a 16 times new Roman bold font. And the first words are, only a murderous whore would kill her own child. Wow. Oh, God. And so, and then they, they're the ones that hold up the signs of, like, the mutilated babies and all this stuff. And I understand Father Frank Pavone, he's made comments about that. Only Amer- America will end abortion when they see what abortion does. And I understand that perspective, but, like, they're little kids that drive down that street. They don't yeah. need to see human yeah. remains in, yep. covered in blood. And, yeah. and one guy rode down, he rolled his window down, and he goes, hey. I agree with you, but that crap has got to be cut off. There are kids that come down here. And I was like, that's not us, man. That's someone else. And I agree with you and God bless. But um, so you have those people that like my dad will walk up to him and be like, and my dad's a quiet guy, you know, you know, live and let live kind of thing. But I walk up to those people and be like, do you, do you think you're changing hearts and minds or do you, do you think you're just being an ass? <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and at a certain point you're like, yeah, that just, it just doesn't work. Why do people think? Going to a gay pride parade and holding up signs while wearing a, you know, a fully buttoned up white shirt on a hot day. Um, holding up signs that say you're going to hell or you will face God's judgment is ever, is, is ever winsome. <laughs> you know, you're not, yeah. you're not convert. And I tell this to people all the time. You can never argue people into the church. You argue away their obstacles, but you can only love them into the church. You can only, because that's what, beloved, it's not that we love God, but rather he loved us first. And so the idea of hunting women down, I mean, that phrase that you said, whenever you first said that, I was like, oh, God, oh, God, please don't be on our team. Oh, shit, he's on our team. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no, oh, no. Oh, no, he's one of those. Um, But the whole idea, I mean, that's literally what he's doing, right? He's shaming people. And when did Jesus shame the woman caught in adultery? When did Jesus shame the Samaritan woman at the well? He did none of those things. The people he shamed were the religious elites who thought they were too good to be with the sinners. That's the point I want to drive home because that's the natural tendency of 
Christians of whatever religion you're a part of, if you, it's a very human broken thing. If you're not a part of the inner circle, then you're not really one of us, you know? Freud called it the narcissism of minor differences. And it's like the people we hate the most are actually people like the Society of St. Pius X. Like, I want to punch him in the face. Not, you know, like the atheist. I'm like, eh, whatever. He's he's struggling. But I'm like, but these St. Pius X people, I want to punch him. You know, we have this <laughs> mentality. People who believe 98% of what we believe piss us off more than people who believe 50% of what we and believe. that is so true. Oh, my gosh. Which oh, is why I, I hate Luke so much. <laughs> we are so close to him like, being in I, obedience to me, but I, not yet. Like trying to think, like, I, I, oh, oh, can I? Can I finish? I'm sorry. I'm Welcome kidding. to episode number seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I don't understand is, okay, two things. One, <laughs> what's happened to the idea of Christian joy? Yeah, because I think when I hang out in a community, I experience that. It's an authentic thing that I just think is such an amazing gift. That I don't know. It's just awesome. And I feel like that's how we're going to evangelize the world in a lot of ways is just through our joy, not being all like, oh, the world, blah. Fox and News, then, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the world's going to then, hell in the handbasket. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, and then like um and then uh, the other part and this is probably um this is um this is more about the whole Supreme Court thing is that as Catholics, you'd think we know our church history and a lot of us are acting like this Supreme Court a decision just tore down 2000 years of history. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if you're really honest, we probably had a good thousand a year run, if that, where like we were the one who decided what the culture was. Maybe, maybe. So for perhaps maybe half the time. And and we just have to accept the fact that the world's not going to be the way that we want it to be because it is the world and it's never going to be. So just let it go. Let it go. Like, why this isn't? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think there is a thing to, I think there is weight to the idea that I should have a, I should have a say in what the predominant culture of my a society is, where I want to raise my kids, and blah blah blah. But when we're on Facebook, I don't think we're gonna change anyone's mind by whining. I don't know. Does that make sense? Absolutely. We will change people's minds by putting uh words on pictures and then posting them and sharing them like a meme <laughs> that will change people's minds it's because okay so arlene don't ever become friends with gomer on facebook because all you're gonna get are these really fun memes that just keep coming let me tell you let get me tell you game. arlene let me tell you a story <clears throat> there's an app called word swag you take a picture you slap some words on it's magical everyone loves it i've actually heard of it yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> when well, uh, I want to take it back to um, something that I think is, uh, I don't know, uh, difficult in uh, in our world today of talking about um, virtue. Are you are you like keen on like virtue ethics and versus natural law and all that stuff? Have you studied much of that, or do you focus Not most? 
really. No. Okay. <laughs> my my degrees are in are in journalism and mental health, so I can talk about those things. Oh, lame. I'm just so you're a normal person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. I got things to actually try to help. <laughs> yeah, not me. I belong to the world of ivory scholar debate, ivory tower debates of scholars. Son of a bitch. Um, so anywho, um, yes, I, awkward. So uh, <laughs> as we uh, honestly speaking, let's talk about same sex marriage. Me and Luke had a, an amazing podcast uh, that is consigned to the trash bin of history um, that we never published because all of our first five episodes were literally two to two and a half hours long of us just talking to each other. Um, and one of them was on gay marriage and now, and then the whole Supreme court decision came out and I don't, I don't know. I want to get your view. I had a kid. Um, I gave a talk on atheism, a workshop on answering, uh, answering atheists. And really my talk was calm down, take a deep breath. All you science and math nerds, just because all your friends are atheists doesn't mean the only way to follow science and math is by being an atheist. And so I gave him tons of examples of faith and reason and their proper alignment and why faith doesn't try to co-opt the natural sciences. But at the same time, natural science reasoning is of a specific type and all this stuff. Well, I couldn't even finish the dang talk before I had a beeline of kids. And they asked me all sorts of different questions, prove God's existence about this and about that. Um, but one of the first one was, so you tell me gays can't raise kids? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? <laughs> like, we were talking about the uncaused cause, and all of a sudden you <laughs> want me to talk about that. So, I don't know. I just want to – I know you have a handful of pieces on your on your blog that are awesome about um, uh, gay marriage and the decision, especially, you know, like all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Christian or good mar or heterosexual marriages were flawless on Thursday, but on Friday, <laughs> you know, they plummeted. I, I don't know. What what are your, like, first first reactions about – same-sex marriage and whatnot. So I remember the day of the ruling, um, you know, I, I kind of got on the internet so I could see what I was going to have to blog about. And uh, <laughs> what I what I observed was just, just that notion that everybody was freaking out because all of a sudden marriage has been redefined. And, you know, as somebody who has been observing and writing about relationships for a while, I was... Uh, saddened. I'm saddened a lot, which is, is I got to work on that. But I, I was saddened <laughs> because I, I realized like, my gosh, like, look, look around, like, look at the examples of marriage that, that we have all been given in our, in our culture. You know, I remember this one time I was at a restaurant with my mom and uh, we were talking about this sort of thing. And probably too loudly. Uh, I said something like, look around this restaurant, mom. I was like, look at all these couples. Do you think they love each other? Most of them don't. And I like, had this rant and no one said anything, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I freaked a lot of people out. But I, and, and, you know, as sad as that statement is, I do believe it's true. I believe that in many ways, most of the couples that we, you know, encounter in the grocery store and restaurants, they don't really love each other. And that's, it's not like a malicious thing. They're not, they're not in it to hurt each other, but no one has ever shown them true love. And yeah. I think part of that is related to the ways that we as Christians have redefined marriage. You know, um, you know, every single time we decide that it's okay to not practice chastity, every single time we decide that, um, 
you know, we can, we can use each other or, you know, every single time we decide it's okay in a relationship to be selfish, we are in some way, uh, redefining marriage ultimately. Um, you know, for instance, um, I had a great conversation with my former youth minister a while ago. His name is Americo Menendez and he's fantastic and brilliant and a genius, but he, he was talking about how, you know, like with standards in dating, and I promise this will come back to gay marriage shortly, but like we were talking about standards in dating and, you know, I think in our culture, um, one of the ways that we have, even as Christians redefine marriage is by saying that like the primary standard, the paramount standard, the thing you must seek first in a potential spouse is attraction. And I think attraction is, is, is important, but I also think it's irrelevant if this person doesn't also, um, have a commitment to your becoming a saint. You know, if this person doesn't bring out the best and holiest in you, I think attraction is irrelevant. I think you need to move on. And, and so as Christians, I think that's, that's been a major way that we have redefined marriage because we have made the focus so, so very much on, uh, selfishness, you know, in, in so many different ways. And so my initial reaction when the Supreme Court's ruling came down was, um, everybody calm down and let's just start working on our own marriages, you know, like let's start working on our own relationships because, you know, oftentimes when I've had this conversation with people, what, what we've ultimately come to is that, you know, we as, as a church or as, you know, the people who make up the church have really not exemplified marriage in such a way that it looks like something that a homosexual couple can't also do, you know? Um, yeah. and it's not about, uh, bigotry. It's, you know, uh, it's, a, it, I think that our culture has a really negative relationship with the word discrimination, but I think sometimes we have to discriminate. For instance, um, I am not Jewish. And if I show up at a Jewish temple and ask for a bat mitzvah, they're going to say no because I am not a 14-year-old Jewish girl or whatever it is, you know. And that's How discrimination. Dare How but dare it's, they? It's justifiable discrimination because I don't meet the criteria for that ceremony or ritual or whatever whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it's kind of the same thing. Like if we as Catholics had really lived this sacrament of matrimony, this this sacred thing. Uh, it would be clear that the sacrament of matrimony cannot be for everyone, that it is strictly for a man and a woman to come together and procreate, you know? Um, and so that, that was what I, you know, was hoping with the things I had written was to just point out, like, look, I, I understand that people are upset by this, but at the same time, you know, why are you freaking out because somebody else redefined marriage when we also did the same thing and no one's freaking out about that. And I think, I don't think anyone needs to necessarily freak out, but I do think that we need to really open up the catechism, for instance, and read what it says about marriage. I uh, I did a radio interview once uh, with a, a religious sister who was the host of the show, and I'm not going to say we had an argument on the air, but it was <laughs> we had a little bit of a you know. We, but I we punched butt- her. I reached across we, but, the table yeah, well, and we, I punched we her in the jaw a little bit. Um, because I said something about how, you know, my gosh, we we have access to this. We have the catechism that yeah. just so beautifully and clearly explains marriage. And there are people who get married in the church who have never read those pages, who don't even know those pages exist. And I think that's a tragedy. And I said, I think everyone should read that before they get married and uh, before they date, you know, like, and, and 
she said, well, you know, not every person necessarily is going to have the capacity to, to grasp that. And I, I, I absolutely understand that, especially um, after I studied, you know, mental health. I know that there are, you know, plenty of reasons, but here's here's where that truth and the, the, the sister was right. You know, not everyone is going to be able to grasp uh, what the church teaches necessarily. But, you know, there are people like me and you guys and and her who who get it and who understand and who I believe then have the responsibility to present it to other people in a way that they can understand it. And so I'm, you know, I'm still working on that. On that. I'm still trying to figure out how can I say this in a different way that will not cause people to freak out <laughs> in that way, um, that, that will um, present the truth as well as, uh, you know, um, be graspable. In, in, a, in a way that it hasn't been before. And so I just think we're really, uh, we have our, our work cut out for us, you know, but I think it's, yeah. it's, it's important. Okay. Let me ask you a question, personal opinion, which is better love and responsibility or theology, of the body love and responsibility. Thank you. Thank she you. So I feel about that. so justified. Oh, you are my new best friend. Did you know that? <laughs> We just became best friends. Did that just happen, Luke? That just happened. You know what, Luke? I'm, I'm going to hang up. I'm going to stop <laughs> your part. Me and Arlene are going to do the podcast from now on. This is Catching Foxes with Gomer and Arlene, not Luke. Um, Arlene. We can't say his last name, so we don't care about him. And Luke I, can't say her last name, but that's okay. <laughs> I have a question. Um Sorry, I just got a text post. And I was like, I have a question. Let me read this text from my <laughs> Aunt D about have I seen the Terminator yet? And I'm not going to because it doesn't exist. Anyways. Are, excuse um, me? Excuse the new, me? A Terminator movie looks horrible. Uh, yeah, but the Khaleesi is in it. You go and see that. No, no. Listen, I love the uh, Khaleesi, but no, I can wait. Um, Arlene, <laughs> you're the first person I've ever talked to who has a verified Twitter account. How, How awesome did... was it when that happened? Um, it was pretty cool. Um, the only reason I'm verified is because I'm a staff writer for the Tampa Bay Times. That, that's why I'm a verified. Did Dick DiBartolo call you? Um, no. No, the CEO, no, fact, former CEO. <laughs> but do you know what's funny is because I am verified on Twitter, do you know how many people think I'm famous? I'm like, I'm not famous. Yeah. Most people have never even heard of me. And I think that's hilarious. Like, I get, like, nervous direct messages when I follow someone back like oh hello Arlene I can't believe you responded and I'm like why why wouldn't I I don't, I don't understand. I'll, I'll be honest I was pretty excited when you started to follow us on Twitter because like she's verified <laughs> she's, that's what's up she's legit she's legit we have a verified we may only have 56 followers which is higher than the 35 we talked about during the last podcast nice at cfoxespodcast.com uh, sorry, dot com at C Fox's podcast. That's at the letter C Fox's podcast. Uh, uh, just to let you know, I've been mentioning it in uh, during my theology, of the body week, because there's a handful of young adults there and they're following. Um, hey, can I, since Luke opened the social media door, can I ask you a handful of questions? Yes. OK, so you obviously you're you're a journalist. You get it. You get how to blog and write and do all. Are you a blogger or a writer? Oh, man, I'm a writer. Yes, that's it. You're a writer who has a blog, but you're a writer. I like that. I think Number so, two. Yeah. Number two. I'm firing. This is rapid fire time. Uh, <laughs> your ads on your site, okay? Think dating is for – think online dating is for losers. <laughs> think again, Catholic Match. Now, you are affiliated with them somehow, right? Yes. Okay, Catholic Match Institute. 
Yes. Which is a think tank that discusses Iranian nuclear options, right? Yes. Okay, good. Excellent. Um now do you do you do, do you have like a like a like a platform that you sign up for that delivers ads or do you go out and seek these ads? Um I I thought those ones. Well actually, I don't I don't really know. What other ads do I have on there? You oh, have Okay, well let me explain. You have number 1 the Catholic Match ad, which is a very uh hipster looking woman with thick black glasses and the only color that's really vibrant is her red lipstick for the Catholic Match ad. But then you have, <clears throat> now, the SCORE conference. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's fantastic. I hear it's a game changer. Oh, it was a game. Oh, did I, did I write that? Yeah. yeah. I wrote that. Okay. Which I attended in May of 2014. It's a game changer. It totally changed my game. Uh, it was awesome. Okay. Okay. Oh, and it's out in Vail. That's pretty cool. Vail, yeah. Colorado. Hey, if the uh, SCORE conference wants to fly us out there to do a live podcast, we'll, we'll do that. Sorry. Hey, wait, hold on. Luke, I thought of this today. I'm flying Southwest out to you for your wedding. Luke's getting married uh, at a time that will not identify who he is. And uh, <laughs> Luke, I'm going to bring my uh, my whole podcasting setup. Uh, yeah, we should clearly do a live. We're we gonna do, do a live show at your reception. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I have the sad part is like obviously we can't. Aaron will like flip, but like there's a small part of me that's like that's the greatest thing you've ever thought of. <laughs> <laughs> I have literally been thinking that all day, and while I've been playing Clash of Clans instead of working, I was thinking about that the whole time. Um, By the way, have some patience with Clash of Clans. I'm sorry. I can't. I just spent another $10. Luke has spent $50 on Clash of Clans, and I, I can't take it anymore. Anyway, sorry. Okay. Arlene, Arlene, I promise, this is about you. I'm giving you money. Yeah, probably you should edit that out. Yeah, yeah we'll edit that out. Yeah. So I told you there's going to be some point in time during our show where you're probably going to be like, yeah, you yeah, could take about, that out. That you would are be literally great. taking food out of my mouth. Shut your mouth. <laughs> this podcast. I have a blog that people actually read, which means I make money, which helps me do this thing that I have to do called eat. <laughs> if you I could have a blog that somehow I convince people to go to, and all three of them have. Thank you, mom, dad, and cousin. <laughs> all right. I have a quick, well, no, sorry. You said you had a question. My question was actually, can I interrupt to tell you something? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our mutual friend Jason says hi. Oh, Jason. Do you know that he can't bend his knees when he runs? When he runs. He runs what? like he's he has two peg legs. That's the greatest thing ever. Run. Yeah. No, you should literally go and hang out with him and Nikki and say, Jason, do me a favor. I want you to run to the end of the street and back. Uh, <laughs> and then take it and put it on Instagram and prepare to laugh. No, but all kidding aside, please tell him that always oh, say hi. He's a re- he's a stand up guy. Is that a thing? Stand up or stand out? I no, may have stand had two glasses. You want to stand down if you have nuclear weapons. You want to stand <laughs> yeah. up if you have peg okay. legs while you run. That's, That's right. How that works you know, out. but he's a great guy. Really great guy. Hey, he's um, all right. His, I, our freshman year, I was scared he was taking our good friend John away from no, me. Like he was you replacing were afraid me. that he was going to replace you in our awesome, ultra secret, awesome group. But that's especially with our buddy John, and I was like, Jason, jerk, and he's going to replace me. And I had to like apologize to him. We had to like we were, pray with Luke and pull I felt really bad. I thought my friends were leaving me because I couldn't go on spring break to Houston, Texas. Um, but anyway, so you're a counselor. Um, can you tell what? me why I'm doing that? No. Um, <laughs> I was you, according to Jungian archetypes, what is Luke most hung up about? 
<laughs> I will need a little more time. <laughs> we'll do some uh, Listen sand to episodes drawing one through five. Luke. I was going to ask you something. I forgot it. The whiskey. Mm. Oh, this might be. Oh, that is Bud wait. Light. I'm nope. about five in. How many are you in? Arlene. Arlene, how many oh, have you been drinking? Oh, oh, I actually don't drink that much. Arlene, when, you uh, literally just wrote an article for the Tampa Bay Times about local brothers and their brew. <laughs> I have literally I been researching so much about your life. I know I know everything about your – I'm so happy your Jewish dad decided to baptize you Catholic. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Luke so, didn't tell me who you were until last night that's while I was not, watching okay. an episode of Lost with my wife, and then I began – my quest to discover who you are. I had every good intention of doing that, but I had an engagement party. I was out in Denver. I had a meeting. Then I went and saw me without you. You were paving um, a road with those good intentions all the way to hell. Exactly. Uh, so Arlene, I have two more questions. I promise we, we should probably wrap this up. Once you guys don't want to keep, keep going, I've got nothing to do. Um, <laughs> I got a, I got a plane that I got to catch at 5 a.m. But other than that, I got nothing to do. Was, uh, I'm in Cincinnati by myself. So, except yeah. for Aaron gets here. Did you on just Friday. say your city? Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Oh Who cares? my god! Don't edit it out. I won't. I won't. Cincinnati. All right. Um, <laughs> one. Why is this the best podcast you've been on? Fact. Because, oh, um, <laughs> I don't like when people. Okay, I know I have to tell a story. Um, one time I was at a. Uh, I was. I, it was my birthday party. And uh, I was like early 20s or something. And I had a friend who was like, okay, go around the room and tell us, you know, who everybody is and and something awesome about that person. And oh, do you know how many worst. times that happened when, when I was, I would go to it, I would be like, this is my friend, um, Sarah, and she is awesome because <laughs> I would just draw a blank. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> the worst. Blank. Who would do that to you? And that Whoever did that to you is not a friend. And that was my birthday party because then I lost all my friends. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sorry that I hesitated. Um, why is it awesome? Well, you know, I really have enjoyed being able to like freely discuss things such as, you know, abortion and gay marriage because there aren't many contexts in this day and age where I can say what I think, and um, do it safely. So, so that is why this is an awesome podcast. That's Fact. that's what's up. Uh, two. Do I tweet about me without you too much on Twitter? It's okay if the answer is yes. Um, I have actually never seen a tweet about me without you from you, so no. <laughs> All right, then you so because like last night there was a flood and I was really which so, account? Uh, the at C Fox's podcast. Why would you tweet something that we did not mutually share in from our mutual? Twitter account. Oh, dude, I tweet so much stuff that you probably would be mad that I did. <laughs> I should probably follow that account on my on my normal Twitter. I like. I. I mean, actually, <laughs> no. I. Um. I was actually um really really quick because I we've been talking for about like an hour and a half, um, which has been awesome. But I I don't have to. I'm gonna take up your time or anything. Anyways, um, I found that there's a really cool. Not a community, but like there's a lot of cool Catholic people on Twitter who aren't annoying, who have good mm. things to say. And you're one of those people, Arlene, that yeah. I found. Like, there's some really great people that are doing and that are, are saying some really cool stuff. I'm kind of, I feel like we're kind of a part of that now. So mm. I'm like, ooh, hey, everyone. 
I'm cool. We have 36 <laughs> followers. We're a part of the conversation. Listen, just because we have 56. Oh, well played. And uh, the who's it like Sergio guy who's really smart. He has like yeah. 800. He's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Him. I'm like, listen, I'm almost there. Hate that Give guy. me uh, some time. He's really cool. He's really, really cool. Uh, Arlene, I got a question for you. This is a public policy question. You ready for this? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh, indeed. Our gosh is an awesome gosh. <laughs> I prefer the insider's version of that. Oh, Go on. You do. You do. You do. Because you're so indie rock. But um, so my question for you is uh, I listen to a – actually, I listen to almost no – Catholic podcast, Christian podcast, other than two things. Father Robert Barron's homilies, mm. Father Michael Schmitz's homilies. I love them both. Um, but, 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 but. Uh, there are a lot of technology podcasts that I listen to that mock, because they're all progressives and all that good stuff. Um, but they mock abstinence education versus condoms and safe sex and all that stuff. Mm. Now, uh, obviously, what with the the alternative to the condom education in in schools is abstinence, right? Mm. Because that is drained of all theological language. Even though chastity is a perfectly philosophical concept, if you detach it from its theological roots, you know, you know what I mean. Like yeah. Aristotle could understand a concept of chastity. Whereas, you know, I, you don't need theology to understand chastity. So I feel like, uh, you know, and they, people who, they, they constantly mock an idea of an abstinence education for high schoolers. I was wondering, in terms of delivering your message to high schoolers, college students, young adults, where would you, in, in terms of public policy, how would you, like, navigate those those areas of, like, okay, obviously I can't do a faith-based you know, like Jesus wants you to be chased kind of approach to a public school, you know, assembly or a, a health mm -hmm. sex ed class. How, you know what I mean? Like, what would you, think, your approach be in that? Um, I don't know. That's a difficult question to answer. I partially because I'm really tired and um, also because <laughs> like, I, you know, let me put it to you this way. Um, I was really gracious to grow up in a house where we had not, no, no taboo topics. And I think, um, I, I thank my parents for that because I think that plays a, a really important role in the ability to grow up and practice chastity, regardless of what the people at your school teach you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, there, you know, one of my favorite stories is about when I got the sex talk. Um, I was a fourth grader and I, I was sitting at the, uh, kitchen table with my mom and there was a napkin on the table and she took a pen and she took the napkin and she drew a uterus um, because she's very thorough and <laughs> people <awesome. laughs> love that story because for the most part like their their parents were like afraid to even like say the word sex let alone draw an anatomically correct uterus on a napkin at the kitchen <laughs> table and so you know I, I'm so grateful for for that experience also, it was really awkward when it happened, but like, but I'm so grateful because, you know, that was the start of, you know, my, uh, my parents quest to actually present truth to us, to, to me and my brother. And he, and he was not there for that conversation, just, just to be clear. Cool. But, uh, but you know, it's, 
I think that's that's really uh, one of the most important missing elements in our culture is that parents are often afraid to discuss sex with their kids. Um, one of the hosts on the Today Show was talking about this when I was watching the Today Show uh, this morning, actually. Um, she was saying that, you know, she's afraid to use, like, the anatomically correct body part terms when discussing this stuff with her kids. And I think people just have to suck it up because it does a lot of damage when we build walls between kids and sex. I think one of the yep. one of the worst things that we can do um, as far as like ministers to uh, kids and, and teens and beyond are concerned is to try to hide kids, um, hide sex from kids. Um, you know, I think that there are age appropriate ways as we're growing up as, you know, for, for parents and churches and ministers to present these things to children, because what happens ultimately is, you know, if we build that wall, um, like I said earlier, you know, kids will find out something in some other way, and uh, it's probably not going to be accurate and it's probably going to do more more harm than good you know and i don't think that sex has become in our culture what sex is in our culture because kids know too much about sex i think it's because they don't know enough and they don't know enough about love and they don't know enough about relationships and you know i i i have no idea really like what to say about how public schools and the government do things um but what i do know is that it has to be more holistic, um, especially in the home uh, and, and especially at church. I think that we need to not solely say don't have sex, but we need to define sex. We need to define love. We need to model love. And we also need to have some kind of relationship prep. You know, um, my mom is a therapist and she handles the, the focus, which is an, a, an assessment test that, you know, engaged couples take when they're doing their marriage prep. And uh, so my mom handles, she works at a Catholic church and she handles a lot of the marriage prep type stuff when people are having weddings. And uh, I think one, I think it's kind of sad that people wait until they're engaged to do something like that, um, to ask all of the questions that that assessment asks. I think, you know, I mean, this is kind of awkward, but I, I, I kind of think like, you know, first date's a good time to bring up some of this really important stuff and, um, and, and start discussing. And I think that's, that's something that, Kids, kids don't learn. And um, no, I think that's a great point. What what questions yep. in particular would you okay. want first date wise? Because you have some awesome stories of. I mean, you told us about the <laughs> guy that you dated didn't have the same meaning definition of love or sex mm -hmm. that you did. What what would be some of those first date questions? Well, you know, one of the things uh, that I'm a pretty big proponent of is making sure that that I know whether a guy practices chastity. Um, and I, I think that, uh, can come across as super awkward or super intimidating. And I think that's okay. I think that's, that's part of, part of the purpose, um, of asking that question or bringing up that topic so early is that, you know, it's very important information, um, to see how a person responds to the fact that you're bringing it up and, and to the fact that you're asking the question. So, you know, if, if I say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm saving sex for marriage, um, I, I practice the virtue of chastity, this is what chastity is, and a guy is like, that's really weird. Well, that's fantastic information for me to know, and I, yeah. I already know that, that this is not going to go somewhere good, so I'm, I'm going to move on. And 
Um, I, you know, I've gotten some feedback. People think that's harsh. Um, I've, Mm-mm. you know, I've always said, um, you know, that I, I don't date men who don't practice chastity. And I've gotten so much flack about that from a lot of fellow Catholics who have said, but you know, you know, you, your relationship with that person really could be a catalyst for his conversion. And, you know, I totally believe that my life and my example can be the catalyst for somebody else's conversion, but I also don't think I have to be his girlfriend to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Please women hear that for the love of God, do not date people to be their projects. I did that. I've dated people that I thought, I'm going to show them a better way. And you know what ends up happening? You don't view them as a person. You view them as a project. Yes. And you belittle them. You treat them accordingly. But then you end up doing what they do <laughs> because it never works out right. It's just it never it's works not, out. It's not a good idea. And, you know, I've had a lot of women and some men, um, you know, send me emails, leave comments on the blog that have said, well, you know, uh, one of us wasn't chased and then we got chased and we're married now. So it works. And like, no, that is an exception, not the yeah. rule. It is very rare that something like that ends in the way that it ended for people who for whom it worked out. Absolutely. You know? And who's to say that their relationship is healthy now because of that? Mm-hmm. That's so true. You know, like, just because, like, that could be an, an example of, I mean, who knows, but of them practicing abstinence a lot more than it was mm-hmm. a chastity. And they just, like, tied up a dog until it could be un, unchained. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And then just, all no. of a sudden they're watching a Chris Farley movie in their parents' basement. Lights are <laughs> off. No one's home. And that's when it got unchained. And they're paying the consequences. <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, I know it's getting late for y'all. For me, it's only 930. But um, uh, is, is this notion of um, young adults choosing to be chased. They love each other. They're in a, you know boyfriend girlfriend choosing to be chased in the midst of this culture they weren't chased before what's the best advice you could give to someone who wants to be you know we we use different labels born again virgin second time virgin mm-hmm. people who want to rededicate themselves to having a better a better marriage a better family life better parenthood by being chased now in their relationship what advice would you give that couple taking the focus test living together you know <laughs> Um, like so many couples are, right? They're living together, doing mm-hmm. all this stuff. Um, Let her answer. <laughs> so they're choosing chastity. Well, I think. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode. No. <laughs> One of the most important uh, pieces of advice that I would give is to surround yourselves with, with a community of like-minded people. Um, I don't think it's very likely to be successful in that if you are the only two people you know who are trying to practice chastity. I think you have to surround yourselves with people who believe what you do, who are going to encourage you rather than discourage you. Because, you know, I can't tell you, one of the things I've said to people is, you know, be careful who you vent to and be careful who you ask for advice from look at these at these people's credentials and i'm not saying you can only ask for advice from people who have master's degree in mental health counseling in fact that gets really annoying so don't do that but what i what i would suggest is you know don't 
if you're struggling with the virtue of chastity, don't vent about it to a person who doesn't practice it. Vent about it to somebody who is better at practicing chastity than you are. And that's the kind of person you're going to have access to when you have made some sort of commitment to a community of people. And that could be, you know, a young adult ministry. And that could even happen on Twitter. Like you were saying before, there are so many great Catholics on Twitter who are like-minded and who get it, you know, and these are people you, you know, who I think are open to, to talking about this sort of thing. And so that's what I would really say is just surround yourselves with people. Make If your friends don't meet that qualification, I'm not saying you can't keep them as friends, but you do need to have additional friends who uh, will support you in this. Especially, I think, when you are an adult that's out of college, if you know, or just a thing where you're, it's a little bit harder to control the environment that you're in because of where uh, because of where uh, you work or where you where your apartment is or your city. That's where a community is extremely important. So that's awesome. Um, we should probably wrap it up. We've, we've been talking for an hour and forty five minutes. It's been great. Uh, where can people find you online? I am at arlenespensley.com, which is really difficult to spell, so I'm going to spell it for you. It's A-R-L-E-E-N, Spensley, S as in Sam, P as in Peter, E, N, I lost track, uh, C, C-E-L-E-Y.com, arlenespensley.com, and I'm also at arlenespensley on Twitter. That's the sad part. Like, I hope if I do get married someday that his last name is so much shorter mm-hmm. and has mm-hmm. so much less with ease because I have so many E's you in my name. You have so many E's. It's I'm endless E's. It is as if E has invaded your life and just <laughs> taken it over. It's pretty awesome. You know, my wife, she has a complicated German last name. And every time I talk about That's my wife, awesome. she gets so pissed off when she hears it. But so usually I keep it away from her. But uh, I always say she has a, I say her last name and then I say, isn't that terrible? Thank God I gave her mine. <laughs> and uh, whenever she hears it, she's like, you do know that I love my family and I love my last name. And I'm like, yes, you do love the last name Gormley. And then I just <laughs> act completely oblivious. And that marks another reason why it's grounds for annulment. But, you know, we're not talking about that right now. That's awesome. Hey, um, this has been awesome. I've, this has been really, really great. You're and our first interviewee. Yeah. Thank you for being I'm, so patient. I'm honored. Arlena's patient. Arlena's kind. Arlene does not hold grudges. She is Our, not boastful. Arlene is slow to anger. Uh, if you ever have anything else that you want to uh, promote to my aunt and a couple of our friends, uh, feel free to come back on at at any point in time. So what's the title of your book? Just tell everyone the title oh, of your yeah. book and where we can get it and all that good stuff. My book is called Chastity is for Lovers, Single, Happy, and Still a Virgin. It's published by Ave Maria Press. You can find it on the book page on my website and order it um, either there from Amazon or Ave Maria Press or Barnes & Noble. And uh, Where do if, you get the most money? If people really want to want to help me out personally, um, they can actually just like send me an email or contact me on Twitter and I can give them instructions on how they can actually just send me money and I will send them a book and it will even be signed. <laughs> Ooh. Well, damn, I feel bad that I got it on Kindle. Yes. <laughs> can you just sign I a will... piece of paper and then uh, take a picture with your phone and I'll buy a copy off, off, um, off of uh, your site and give it to my, I don't know, my fiance make up for it. Show, yeah. show, hey, please. here you go. Chastity is for lovers. You should read it. It's not my business. You're a woman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, really quick before we let you go, why Ave Press and not a Franciscan? 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't are, have to. Are, are they associated? Is Ave Press a part of Ave Maria University? No. Yeah, no. that's what I was going to say, Luke. It actually was founded uh, by the same guy who founded Notre Dame in Indiana uh, over 100 years ago, 150. Oh, Oh, now I feel really bad for asking. Yeah, he was a Holy Cross father that looks like Dumbledore. How dare you, Luke? How dare you? Did you look him up online? What? No, I've been to Notre Dame, and in the middle of one of their dining halls, they have a painting of the founder of the Holy Cross order. It's not the same guy that founded Francis or Notre Dame, but but he looks like Dumbledore. We should let this poor girl go. No, no, we're keeping her until midnight. This is an all-night podcast. Fine. Okay, Who do you like more, Iron Man, Captain America? No. Oh right, no, that's um, a good point. Hey, wait, real quick. Have you seen the Suicide Squad uh, trailer, Arlene? I actually haven't. Oh God, what are we doing with you? What have you seen the new Batman vs Superman trailer? Um, I not the trailer necessarily. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? Okay, okay. How much did you cry when you saw the new Star Wars trailer that came out a couple months ago? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I'm not even sure if I should say what I'm about to say because I think you're not going to air the podcast. Please don't say what I think you are going to say. I am hovering over delete. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't say it. You think I'm going to say? Say it. I've never seen Star Wars. Oh! <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? <I> all credibility. <laughs> Arlene, Arlene, the, number one. Quick question. Do you believe in God? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. You need to watch Star Wars to really understand the depth of redemption. Not the prequels. Not the prequels. Oh, Not dear prequel. God. Not the prequels. Not prequels. Okay, anywho. And Luke, where are you at on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the Luke V. At the Luke V. And... God, that is such a horrible Twitter handle. No, it's not. I it's the best. I can't get over how awful that is. The goggles do nothing. That's a good point. Uh, uh, that's I'm at Lay Evangelist on Twitter, at Lay Evangelist. And he's at AMDG Omer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Luke. Uh, yeah. You can find this podcast and many other fine quality podcasts, actually, just one of the one, on layevangelist.com, my website for people who are practitioners of the new evangelization and people who enjoy. Star Wars, unlike Arlene. Um, We're going to close this up. Thank you all for listening. God bless you, and good night. You know what's funny? Every time you said sex essay, I wanted to say sex A. Do you know know that's what we we called the second one? Oh, why didn't I say that out loud on the podcast?